0: Welcome to the Independent Oxford podcast, sponsored by Story 94. I'm Rosie, and along with my indie partner, Anna, we run Independent Oxford, which is a community that supports and champions independent businesses in Oxfordshire. In this series... I'll be guiding you through some of Oxfordshire's best indie journeys and adventures, and I hope you'll join me for the ride. Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Independent Oxford Podcast. I'm Rosie, and today, Paul from Sandfield Guesthouse in Headington is joining me. Welcome, Paul.
1: Hello, thank you for having me.
0: No worries. How are you doing today?
1: Yeah, very well indeed. Yeah, been a very successful morning today. A few challenges, but nobbled them quickly. (laughs)
0: <laughs> excellent such as the life of an indie business owner <laughs> absolutely absolutely
1: you've got to be able to move quickly and on your toes
0: oh brilliant um so let's just jump in and uh hear a bit about you and your background and your journey to uh sandfield guest house
1: well like most of my career decisions i pretty much fell into running the guest house so previously um uh, I was a lawyer and then a logistician and did a whole variety of different things, and I ended up taking a four- or five-month career break and moving to Brazil and staying there for four years, um, building condominiums and refurbishing restaurants and such. And then in 2008, uh, all the money dried up across the planet, all the investment dried up, and at the same time, um, we had a family sickness, and my parents asked if they could move out of the family home and into uh, a bungalow that I had just around the corner. And I said, yes, but can I have the house? And we swapped houses, um, tossed up the difference. And so in 2009, having worked for about six months refurbishing the house and getting internet sorted out and on suites and such, I had my first guest almost exactly 12 years ago to the day today. Wow. And since then, I just haven't looked back really. I've had so many different different hats and different careers on in the past, this one is is the one that has really, really sat tight. So having done it for 12 years, it's, it's by far and away my my favourite job that I've had.
0: Okay. So you really enjoy the kind of the hosting, the hospitality of it?
1: Yes. I think it's that I don't think, I, well, I can't think of a more social livelihood because you're literally inviting people into your home. And so for me, one of the most rewarding things is helping people who are visiting Oxford. And that could be by virtue of the fact that I'm surrounded by hospitals. It could be um, giving people the space and the comfort they need it so they can focus their energies where they need to be focused on, on um, siblings or spouses or family who are in the hospitals um, all the way through to using my knowledge of Oxford city, having lived there most of my life, a good 35 years or so and I'm 44 now and say, well, I wouldn't go there. I would go here and here's a free option and here's a hidden secret. You might want to do this and, the reward is when people come back and say, wow, had you not mentioned it, we just wouldn't have known about it. We just wouldn't have known. And so that that social interaction is really, really important, particularly now, and I'm working really hard to try and bridge the gap between myself and my guests in order to reestablish that relationship, really. And the variety of people that come through all walks of life for all different types of reasons. So you, you feel that you, despite your fairly housebound running a guest house you feel that you're still in the thick of it and you're still interacting with the rest of the world because they're coming through the front door
0: Mm. but i mean that must be so rewarding i know you know one of the the best things about running independent oxford is having conversations with indie business owners and meeting lots of people and you know that's that's really interesting but yeah having those conversations hearing people's stories is fascinating and um it it's it's really interesting to to know that you were living in Brazil and what running hotels in Brazil or no was it um, hospitality so based at all.
1: I did I did work in a hotel for a while um, and on the northeast coast, but most of it was project management. So um, Brazil had been a- awarded um, I forget the sequence, but the Olympics and the World Cup, and so everyone was throwing a lot of money into building a lot of infrastructure there. And my way into that as a Previously, as a logistics project manager, was to take the project project management stuff and then apply it to refurbishments or from the ground up buildings. Um, and that started because I was um, co-managing a hotel in a place called jean Pessoa in the northeast. I met some people, I met some British people who weren't confident handing over oodles of cash to Brazilians whilst they were back in London, but they knew because I had a UK connection then they could get back to me and if I misspent their money then they would have some recourse. <laughs> so I ended up spending um, wealthy people's money um, building condominiums and all types of manner of bits and pieces. Then when all the money dried up, the only money that was people were interested in spending tended to be quite dirty money, um, a lot of it from Scandinavia, and I just wasn't interested in handling suitcases of Krona. Hmm. So, yeah. I came, so I came home, much to my mother's <laughs> pleasure. <laughs> she thought she'd see me six months later, but it was several years.
0: So that managing that hotel in Brazil, was that your kind of first like slice of hospitality? Did that kind of whet your appetite for for, for doing the guest house? No, Minnesota? it was
1: very much coincidental. Okay. Um, so my parents, when they retired, my mother was a primary school teacher, my father was in the Navy. When they retired, my sister and I had left the family home Um, had been taking on students during term times with dinner, bed and breakfast. And then they thought when they retired, oh, let's just flip it to a guest house or a bed and breakfast. But after a couple of years, they remembered why they'd retired. So I grew up having people in and out of my home, people moving around, um, being a forces brat. I was always used to going to a different dorm with different people, different terms, that type of thing. So no, I hadn't got the hospitality bug and saw it as a great opportunity. I saw it as a stopgap as I'll get home I'll do that, I'll figure it out, Um, and then if I need to move on, I'll move on because I'm not committing and buying a massive building or anything along those lines, and it's a way of of stop gapping whilst I figure what I'm going to do next. And it just happens that that it's stuck, I think I'm good at it, and I enjoy it. But my introduction to hospitality was as a 15-year-old chopping vegetables in a kitchen in Headington. So I was always being quite critical of service because I think I can deliver really good service. Um, And that then led to waiting tables and then bars and then I went to London as a student and used to do three or four shifts a week there at all manner of different places from pubs to cocktail bars from Shoreditch to Piccadilly massive spread and so it it was more of a natural progression so I left the law um, because I knew I wasn't going to be very good at it Um, and I got a job at the procurement department at BMW and then I became a buyer and then that led to logistics and then that led to project management which led to building warehouses, which led to building condominiums and hotels and that type of thing, which then led to actually running one. So it was quite a natural, organic thing. There wasn't, oh, I love running a hotel. <laughs> because running a hotel is a very different beast from welcoming people into your home. Completely, yeah. completely different animal.
0: Okay. So how do you, how do you balance that, that, kind of your, the family side of the house to, you know, having guests in and, you know, it's very much kind of, it is a business, even though it's kind of, you know, quite social.
1: Um, you mean in terms of the time or the or the
0: Well, both your, your time or, the... or just, you know, how it works in the house. You know, do you have, like, you know, a certain section that is guests only? Okay,
1: so uh, for about the first seven years, six or seven years, um, up until I met my, my now wife, I, I had a room at the back of the house and I had a basin, and, and what I would do is when I went up to – do My housekeeping and these types of things, I would shower in the last shower. Don't please don't tell anybody. I'd shower in the last shower, <laughs> clean it down, and leave. That's how I washed. <laughs> um, and, and I had a mattress on the floor in a room at the back. Um, when I met my wife and she agreed to marry me, um, she said that living like that was no way, <laughs> no way to start married life. And so we would need. I would need to build an extension. Um, so that would be the third extension that went onto the building subsequent to moving into it in the early eighties. So we pushed the back of the house out on the ground floor. Um, And what I then quickly realized was the fact that I could move from the guest house part of the house, which is distinct from our part of the building and actually shut the door on it, even though it was only still only a three foot commute was a, was fairly life changing actually, because I could shut my door on it. So we have our own quarters as such. It's almost like a two bedroom bungalow wedged under the back of the house. And then the rest of the house is given over to the guests. So, Originally, it was six, now five bedrooms, um, landing, the hall, all the bathrooms. The dining room currently is my office because my wife is working from home. So she has a living room and um, I'm still toying with the idea of restarting breakfast. And then it comes into the crossover of the family with the business. So when the doorbell goes, my kids will run to the front door and try and answer it, irrespective of who they think it might be, because they, they love meeting the people and they're, they're kind of like concierges in training, really. At the same time the kitchen sits between our private area and the dining room so we had a door at each end, and we would open one door if i was working shut the others and then vice versa when we wanted to be private i think over the last 15 months or so of certainly with my my youngest who's only two she hasn't known anything different apart from it, is our kitchen and the fact that my eldest is about to start primary school if i shut that area off for two or three hours every morning when everyone's trying to get out i think it would have a massive impact on the kids It'd be unfair on my wife. So I'm looking at alternative solutions. That said, the feedback I've had from, from guests is predominantly that, yes, it's nice to go to a bed and breakfast or a guest house and, and know you can go downstairs and have your locally sourced sausages and eggs and home and blah 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 blah. But if you decide that you don't want that, having paid for it, you kind of feel obliged that you ought to do it. But in Headington, there are I've identified six or eight places that will do everything from a greasy spoon right the way through to eggs royale within 500 yards of the house and the feedback I've had is that guests appreciate actually I don't quite I don't really fancy much I'm just going to go and have a pastry and a coffee or they grab a coffee on the way to work and that type of thing so I'm having towards not doing it and there's no margin in it I'll be perfectly honest with you there's zero margin in it um so that that crossover is fairly fairly interesting um and then in terms of time I'm a master of my own time really apart from check-ins I can push things forwards, pull things back, decide I'm not going to open and go on holiday, drop my prices, decide I'm going to be busy, full, full, full. Um, so that works on a very ad 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 hoc basis.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, it's and it, it's great how it it's flexible and it does fit around your your life. And I think that's you know one of the kind of beauties of running your own business is that you can create this kind of flexibility in what you're doing, and yeah. you know make make it you know make your business fit around your lifestyle and your family and the
1: the building works in in both ways so at christmas traditionally close the guest house for a week or so and when the doors are open and we filled it full of family it feels like it did when i was a kid so none of that character's gone it's still there despite the fact that i can put a separation between the two and have one as a very professional thing and one as a very private bit we can open the whole thing up and we have to have two Christmas trees now one for us and one for them. You know, and, and so we feel ever, ever so posh in that. But what, what, what I'm getting at is when my sister brings her triplets around, everyone's running and screaming around the house and there's aunties and uncles and that type of thing. And it just feels very familiar to how it was 10, 20, even 30 years ago.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great. Wow. Triplets. <laughs> Identical girls
1: in London. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when mine are difficult, I thank my, my blessings that, uh, i'm not as I'm not as gifted or as blessed as her husband
0: <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> oh amazing well i think you know yeah as you say the good thing about you know not doing the breakfast is that you can support other local businesses and and kind of foster those relationships and c- almost yeah. kind of create this um like community that, that is kind of you know from sandfield and and you know Going out to, to Headington and into town. Absolutely. And having absolutely. and having that local knowledge is just invaluable for, for guests and something that you would never get if you were staying, you know, at the Premier Inn or, you know, somewhere that's really oh, the soulless hotels and, are available. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> get that in and in quick. Um, yeah, and, and it, it, it gives me back a good three hours a day. Or rather, I'm not giving out three hours a day to potentially cook one poached egg and, and watch people pour themselves coffee. Mm,
0: yeah, absolutely. And and think that the uniqueness of an indie, you know, through all that that knowledge and those connections and, you know, making sure that people are having the best experience, not just, you know, within the, the guest house, but like their whole, you know, trip in Oxford as well.
1: Absolutely right. Absolutely, whether it's directing people to other independents that I know and love, like, I don't know, um, Morton Kitchen Garden or the Handlebar Cafe or um, going foraging up in Shotover, on that level, but equally... Um, Headington has become, in various pockets, a very close-knit residential community as well. So I recently found out that there's a lady who does massage about three doors down from me, and she does it just for ladies. So she said, well, if you send people my way, and if they're NHS, then I'll give them discounts, and that's everything. So being able to plug all these things in just makes makes my life richer, but it means I can make the guest experience richer at the same time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You're creating that network for you as well as them.
1: Absolutely. And yeah. of course, I had to... Get a free session for my wife before, <laughs> to, you know, try before you buy and all that. So, it, it, I think er, everyone has realized, um, or rather, the importance of collaboration and those connections has come into really sharp refrain over the last year, fif- year or 15 months or so. And I think on a localized level, that's starting to coalesce now. And then it's starting to break out of that at the same time those little coalesced groups are starting to interconnect as well and it's it's a wonderful thing to want to witness but also to be part of
0: yeah absolutely so what what do you where do you kind of draw inspiration for the service level that you provide and just your kind of you know the environment that you create within the guest house you know is it from your you know numerous hospitality jobs over the years or kind of networks with other hotels and, and guest houses
1: i think the the networking with other hotels and guest houses is stronger on a national level. So it's a very good way of gauging how a market might react to not doing breakfast or to not providing biscuits because you can't find a sustainable way of packaging them and that type that type of thing. Um but in terms of the inspiration, or rather, what drives my service levels is trying to deliver what I would like. If I was to go through a similar experience um, and having grown up traveling and having worked in various bars and restaurants and some of them being in hotels and some of them haven't, um, having a very good handle on why I would criticize service or why I would be impressed by a way to doing something that was slightly unusual um, or going above and beyond. If I can, if I can preempt what a guest would like before they even think to ask it, that's, that's what I try to achieve. Um, and it can be very, very simple things. So I had someone yesterday asking what the checkout process was this morning. Um, and in responding to them in a text message, because they didn't want to come downstairs, I said, and you can feel free to leave your car on the driveway as long as you like, because I know I haven't got anyone coming until tomorrow. His reply was, oh, I was just about to ask that. And for me, I'm like, yes, massive, massive win. It's a small thing off it's no skin off my nose, but it can have a massive impact on the guest. So continually trying to preempt what a guest would like, why they might want it, the types of things that they might want down the line is absolutely key, which is why direct booking so I can have a have a relationship with the guest before they even arrive is a really, really important thing. Um, if I know that they're coming because their husband's having a stent or they're coming because it's a, a, a romantic getaway or they're coming because it's someone's birthday or they're just coming for whatever reason, then I, I can kind of be geared up when they come in to provide what they might need if I've not already done so. And in terms of the inspiration, it goes back to the to the style of the house, really. And I want the building to remain my family home. It has that feel about it. But at the same time, I know I need to be professional with things. And the the, the thing that sits very comfortably alongside that is, is Oxford itself. It's a massively rooted in tradition, just absolutely secured there with lots of idiosyncrasies, and clocks that don't tell the right time because we're 13 or whatever degrees it is behind London, and you don't talk to someone if they're wearing sub-fuss because they're having an and All that weirdness, as other people would see it, is is very normal and regular and traditional for Oxford. At the same time, 700 yards from the house was, is where the Oxford AstraZeneca jab was designed and finished off, and there are people constantly, they're only in Oxford, to push envelopes and break barriers, and go new places, and innovate, and these types of things. So I, I very much see, and it only dawned on me a few months ago, that that's how I approach the house. I want it to be rooted in the family. It's the third generation. My kids will answer the door. Please expect that when you come. <laughs> and all and all that good stuff, and that Christmas, it is Christmas. But at the same time, embracing things um, like a digital guidebook so people can have a bit of an idea before they get here. Um using text messages and WhatsApp to communicate with guests whilst they're in. So everyone will get a message first thing in the morning. I hope you had a comfortable night's sleep if there's anything you need. And if I'm going to be out in the afternoon or in the morning, let people know where I am so they can find me. And all these little steps, um, trying to keep the guest house sustainable. So we've been 100 100%, 100% carbon positive for a long time. But very recently, an EV charger alongside the house was that, was recently made public. So at, at the same time as... It's very much the guest house it was. It's still streamlining itself and trying to, in many respects, close the chasm between me and the guests in order to provide that service. But what I'm trying to do is embrace new things in order to make that much easier, both for me and for the guest. Mm -hmm. A really good example of that would be um, in September, October last year, it occurred to me that I don't do any advertising. And I've always been a great believer that you work hard and then you advertise, you advertise again and you advertise again. Otherwise there's no point in working hard. And it dawned on me that I'm no longer walking around with trifold brochures on hospital wards in local shops and restaurants and, and getting my name out there. So now I've embraced Instagram and Facebook and so on and so forth. And that's starting to become a funnel for people to find me and see what I'm about. And it's a much richer way of putting yourself out there than it is just having a trifold with a little sketch drawing and a whole load of details that might actually change week on week. And you've got to go around and gather them all up and getting involved in that is, is, is one particular way of not changing the traditional, the house, but embracing a new way of delivering service.
0: Mm. That's really interesting. How do you balance that with your kind of the day to day running of the, the guest house? Do you find it tricky to kind of manage that marketing time or, the, or the, that kind of desk time, I suppose?
1: Um, if I think back and think of the amount of time I spent pounding pavements, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and September, October, there was, there was not a lot of business going on. So I was very fortunate in that because I'm a one-man band and I don't have any staff, I didn't need to close and I didn't close throughout the entire pandemic. So in September, everything was was very, very quiet. And despite the fact I was still open, I could then focus my energies on that. What I always knew was going to be difficult would be the transition between full lockdown when there were lots of nurses who couldn't go home because they were shielding and hospitals were block booking you know, weeks and weeks back to back to parachute people in the transition from that to whatever the, the new normal turns out to be, that transition was always going to be difficult. Whether that is, do I introduce breakfast or not? Have I got time for my marketing? How I got time for all these new things that I'm taking on? The short answer is, If you run your own business, you have to find time or you find someone to do it for you or you don't do it. So I'm just going to have to find time, but I'm getting better at it. And I think the more you do something, the better at it you become. I think sometimes that can mean you set your challenges a bit further ahead so you don't actually save yourself time. But if you can step back and use the efficiencies, I'm hoping that my marketing will almost be automated apart from the content creation.
0: Absolutely. Always need content. (laughs) Always need content. (laughs) Yeah, it's really interesting to hear you kind of compare the the guest house with Oxford and that kind of weird mix of very old, traditional, slightly kind of kooky traditions and that new fast-paced kind of technology moving forwards. I think that's really, really interesting. And, you know, how those worlds kind of collide and sit together and, and actually kind of muddle along quite happily
1: i think they're really good bedfellows actually and i think in many respects it's the tradition that allows for the innovation because everyone knows what the drill is a bit like the reason why you wear school school why you wear a uniform to school is you don't have to make a decision in the morning you just know that's what you do and because of those traditions everyone knows where they are and they can focus their massive minds on discovering dna or um historical insights or art or whatever it is because it's such a broad spectrum of things but it's the the city is constantly pushing constantly pushing uh, looking at the um the the carbon targets that Oxford city has set being one of the first cities to restrict movement of vehicles so you can't drive in unless you are an electric or a pedal power type vehicle all that stuff it's it's pervasive throughout the social the council the governance the reason why Oxford is such a famous city and I think that that spreads spreads into the buildings and the people and Sanfield guest house is is just one example of that
0: mm, yeah, so tell us a bit more about your sustainability uh, like work and 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 how you've kind of embedded that within the guest house
1: uh so when my son was born uh a very dear friend of mine uh who is a is a- uh, was a head druid would you believe a very very beardy individual who lives on the south south coast we were we were chatting and he said to me, So what, what will you do when Cameron, my my son, in ten years time says, So Dad, you, you knew all about this. It was coming, what did you do about it? And at the time my answer would have been, Well, I just sat and watched it on T V, didn't I? <laughs> what else am I gonna do? So I, I, I started to seriously think about what I could do to limit the impact that both the guest house and the family had on the environment, whether that was local or national or international. So I went for some easy wins first. The boiler was 29 years old. Um, I had it serviced once. And wow, that's and good the, going. Yeah, it, well, it is, but at the same time, the efficiency numbers were just, I mean, it was almost pointless having the thing. So we replaced the boiler. And in so doing, I was very interested in the, in in the cost savings it was going to produce. So that led me to measuring how much energy we were using, which then led to vehicles and cars. And I started to develop an idea about how much carbon the building, including us as a family, was producing. And then I found um, a couple of other easy wins and contacted a company called Carbon Footprint Limited. And they gave me a what turns out to be quite a simple calculator to figure out much more accurately how much carbon we were producing. Um, so that was everything from what type of car do you have, how many miles do you do, how many bus journeys do you do, what type of light bulbs do you have, what's your EPC rating, smart switches, the, the whole gamut really. So once we'd established how much carbon we were producing, the organization then helped me to offset it. So they have uh, a whole suite of projects globally that are designed and they funnel money into designed to reduce carbon emissions globally. And you can pick and choose amongst them. I picked some from South America for fairly obvious reasons now. Um, some hydro over in India. And, and then I realized and discovered just how cheap it was to offset our our carbon footprint. And it was less than 10 pounds a month for an eight bedroom building, family of four with guest houses, with guest house people, no cavity wall insulation, none of that really leaky building. Um, And so I thought, well, my parents aren't doing anything about it, so I'll just overcompensate. So I overcompensated a chunk. I think I got to about £15 a month, and that was all fine. And then I started to read about greenwashing and offsetting, putting the solution somewhere else, not locally, and Oxford has a massive pollution problem, and removing guilt for using a vehicle, why would you, why, you know, if you're going to offset it, well, I'll just drive to the shop. Doesn't matter. It's been dealt with, but it's no, it's been dealt with in Hong Kong or India or Russia or wherever these projects are. Um, so I, I kind of picked up the gauntlet again and then just did whatever I could to squeeze down our carbon footprint. So all of the light bulbs in the building, um, I was going to phase them out. I just got rid of them and gave them to people who could use them for charities, replaced it all with LEDs. <laughs> I installed smart switches that talk to Alexa, so they'll come on an hour before dawn, they'll go off or an hour, they'll come on an hour before dusk, that type of thing, to manage the energy usage there. As white goods died, went for at least A++ or 3 pluses to reduce that then there. All of our food is composted, um, and the most recent endeavour has been trying to minimise the amount of single-use plastic that comes in and therefore out of the building. And that's been a particularly unique challenge. Particularly unique challenge. Um, simply because little packets of coffee, bin liners, packets of milk, biscuits are a nightmare. I can't find a source of biscuits. People have said, you could bake your own. I could, but then how do I store them without putting preservers in them to keep them and all the rest of it? So I'm actually thinking about knocking biscuits on the head at a minute. But I'm getting there. And I think, providing I don't stop trying there's not really much else I could be doing. Um, I've just found a source of toiletries uh, where the packaging is compostable. So this is exciting. Joker Coffee Traders, I've been working with them for some time now. They're nearly online with coffee bags so I can get rid of instant coffee, which is an, an awesome thing, but also get rid of the plastic packaging that goes with it. But there, there does come a point where you have to make a decision. Do I continue trying to eliminate plastics and therefore eliminate things that They contain, or do I push more towards, well, I can recycle, I can have this plastic recycled. There does come a point where it's impossible to buy large bottles of milk in that quantity and that type of frequency without engaging with plastic. I think engaging, accepting that I have to engage with plastic is an important thing. It's just then a question of how I do that and the relationship I have with it. Mm. If you can have a relationship with plastic (laughs) without being too too kinky about it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so I just went off on one there. Yeah, no, loads and great. loads and loads of stuff with that. Um, but plastic is is my my current target. Yeah, all yeah. About plastic.
0: Yeah. Well, it's amazing, and I think you know, as you say, it's it's just being aware, and you know, you're on that journey. You know, and and you know, you started at point A, and you're moving towards point B. And I think you know that's that's something that we're all well, we're all trying to do. Definitely. Yeah.
1: So the net result of having pushed all this, uh, pushing the carbon footprint down. Is that I know that for at least, or rather, I know that we offset at least two tons for every ton that we produce. Um, And if I can just increase on that, then why wouldn't I? Really?
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Brilliant.
1: It's really easy. Once you get started, it's really (laughs) easy. You put some numbers in a calculator and then you you just carry on from from there and you think, why am I wanting that? I'm going to get my bike. Or no, we're going to walk to school. Or no, we're going. I don't need a steak. I had a steak.
0: <laughs> I think that's, and I think that's the thing is that, that as businesses, I think often people have a mental block and think, oh, this is just how you do it. But actually, once you kind of start exploring, you know, alternatives, you know, whether it's reducing plastic or, you know, thinking about your supply chain or, or whatever it is, that there are kind of ways to to move away from, you know, where we have been has kind of you know unsustainable things, yeah. to a point of you know you know more more sustainable um and it is definitely a you know it's it's a it's a dial it's not a, <laughs> you know it's not no. from, it's not one to the other you know one point to the other
1: it's, not, it's a it's a very big thing um and it can be overwhelming when you when you look at it, you go wow that's that's such a <laughs> where do I start? I think the important thing is to start find something, do that, and then find the next thing and do that and I've been doing. We're working on sustainable. I mean, Cameron's four and a half now, so five years, I suppose. And I'm not satisfied. Mm. But at the same time, it, it, it's, it's quite exciting to pursue it and to chase it down and go, I found milk containers I can recycle, yeah. And my wife just looks at me like I'm mental. She gets it, but she's like, why are you getting excited? Why are you getting upset about biscuits? They're just biscuits. I'm like, oh, I know, but they're <laughs> single-use plastics in guest rooms. <laughs> but that's
0: great, and I think seeing it as an adventure... And that you're, you know, you're using it as a, you know, way to grow and um, something to explore, I think, is, you know, that's the right, that's the right kind of attitude.
1: Yeah, and I think it's good for for guests also to know that those attempts are being made. um, And that when they pay me to stay in the house, they're actually contributing to the reduction of carbon. Or they're contributing to, in a very small way, in a general movement, away from plastics or uh, towards bicycles or... Whatever that is, whatever flicks their switch to know that that 's there, I think it comes back to what i sell i don't i don 't sell beds and breakfasts and 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 toilets and these things I sell comfort and that 's everything from um, pPE for covid right through to uh, enhancing the guest' experience by making suggestions or recommendations right the way through to actually i 'm staying here and and i 'm not having any negative impact on. On the global environment, perhaps you are in Oxford, but the global environment. And I think adding in every little which way I can to comfort in a very productive fashion generally can only be a good thing.
0: Mm, yeah, absolutely. And do, do you think that being in Oxford kind of helps you on that journey? Do you do you feel like it's got a kind of really kind of positive sustainability, kind of community and, and lots of lots of projects going on like the zero emissions zone? Um
1: Yes, but I don't have a frame of reference, so I couldn't say that Oxford was doing any more of it than um, I don't know um, Totnes. Um, I don't know why I, pe- I do know why I picked Totnes. I went on holiday there, and it's one of, they were one of the first fair trade towns. But I don't have a frame of reference. But what I certainly know is that there are lots of efforts going on, both on an academic level, with the council. There are lots of organisations, in some respect, perhaps too many, who are working to help organisations reduce the impact that they have on the climate. Um, so I do feel entirely supported and all the resources I could possibly want are there. But to, to say that I feel very lucky that I'm in Oxford because of that, um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't begin to say.
0: Mm, yeah. So from a, from a indie point of view, um, and when you're suggesting other businesses, what are your kind of favorite indie? So you talked about water and organics, which is an amazing space just outside of Oxford um and handlebar what are your kind of other go-tos that that you personally love and you love to recommend to your guests
1: so when it comes to recommendations for guests i always i will always tailor to what they're asking for and many of these recommendations would be if it were you would you go to the Pitt rivers or would you go to the history of science museum so um if someone asked me for a dinner recommendation for example um i would Quickly try and narrow that down geographically. And if they wanted to stay in Headington, then there are lots of independents there, but they're not necessarily part of independent Oxford. When it comes to Oxford City, there is a wealth of choice. From a personal perspective, my favorite indies, uh, Carrie Fisher at the moment, gotta, See, gotta Cassie give her Fisher. Cassie Fisher. <laughs> that's right. She's been doing a lot of work, um, helping me out, looking at my social media and auditing it, um, helping me, uh, launch the website and then Um, post on social media to try and get feedback and get people to break it. I've got to give a shout out to Jericho Coffee Traders because I'm absolutely gagging to get hold of their coffee bags. Um, I will feel better about what I'm giving customers and um, feel much happier that I can... Compost the coffee in the bags, and it's all really good for plants and these things. So they're still top of my my list. Um,
0: and again, you know, they're doing a lot, of, you know, sustainability. They are, as a they are,
1: and I think if 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 we can club together with that, um, it it can only be good. Walton Kitchen Garden is is just a favourite spot of mine. Um, Simon's quite difficult to get hold of, um, but just to spend a couple of hours sat up there with the. What they produce, how they produce it, how they deliver it to you on a plate. That whole environment is, is just a wonderful spot. And it's so close.
0: Mm. It's, it's
1: amazing. It's, it's It is, the perfect thing. And when I'm there, I feel as if I could be anywhere. I could be back in, on, on, uh, I could be back on holiday in Totnes. I could be, I could be up in Norfolk. It, it doesn't matter. It's just idyllic. And it's very, I know it's very complicated, but it feels very, very simple. And it's just really nice. And then my my real, real favorite favourite indie of all, and it's it's not very well known. They they don't advertise or anything along those lines. Um, is a little shop in Headington that's been running, I think, since the early nineteen fifties, called Headington Homewares. And I forget the name of the, the Ronnie Barker show. Open all but hours. Open all hours. It's <laughs> like that. Um it's my dad used to tell me when I was a kid, if I need anything weird and wonderful, like a, like an oven-like bulb or something that has dropped off the old house, I can go and say, have you got one of those? And James will go in the back and have a rummage around and come out with a variety of things. It smells of spit and sawdust. They sell loads of really interesting kitchen gadgets, like things so you can cleanly take the top off a boiled egg and a whole range of sieves. And I, I just love going in there, and it's right on my doorstep. So not one for the guests. They don't often need to go and buy randomly sized plugs, that type of thing. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's it's a firm, firm favourite.
0: Amazing. Yeah, there are there are some amazing like little shops like that around Oxford. And there's Sylvester's on um, Magdalen Road as well, which yeah. is kind of similar. Um, and it's, yeah, fantastic. You could always, whatever you, whatever you need if you're in an emergency situation, they'll have it can for go you. In. Have you got one of
1: them? Yeah. <gasps> Yeah. Well, I haven't got one of them. What's it for? Oh, okay. I'll give you that instead. <laughs> Brilliant. If you if it doesn't work, bring it back. Okay.
0: Good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, amazing, amazing businesses. And handwritten receipts and all that stuff. Um, it's been great to chat today, Paul. Um could you just share how listeners can find you online before we go?
1: Yeah, so um the first spot would be my website, which is sandfieldguesthouse.com. Um, I like to think particularly because it's all singing and all dancing and new, and it's got a 3d virtual tour and all these types of things on it, that that would be your go-to place for FAQs, contact details, that type of thing. Um, as I mentioned earlier, kind of September time really started pushing hard on the Instagram again. Um, all my contact details are there. You can hit me up with a direct message. Uh, there's a VIP list, digital guidebook. So I would say the two places would be my website on my Instagram, and the Instagram handle is at Sanfield Guest House. And I always get back to you quickly because it's just me. <laughs> and my wife berates me for being on the phone, but I will get back to you almost instantaneously, I'm sure of it.
0: Now that's that's good service. Um, <laughs> great to chat to you today. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much for having me. You've been listening to the Independent Oxford podcast, sponsored by Story 94. You can find out more about our community at independentoxford.com, If you enjoyed this episode, please do rate, review and subscribe to help more people hear indie stories from across Oxfordshire. Bye for now.